Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legends series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. This guy, he had it all, and then some. Talent and humility, timing, yet that common touch. He could serve a terrific T-bone too. Yep, so cool. But who is John Dorohy? Good question. Um, oh, Coming from a quiet country kid who... Grew up with a um, a fibro house family, um, but father and his brothers built a business in Wollongong, Illawarra, of abattoir, 22 butcher shops and a couple of wholesale depots and all sorts of things. Um, I was blessed to, uh, to be in the family and, um, yeah, grew up uh, just playing uh, schoolboy football and then got involved with West Illawarra, went to school at St Paul's at Balambi. Mm. Um, which is now called Holy Spirit, uh, which, which was a fantastic school to go to. It was an all-boys school, a Marist father's school, uh, and our sister college was um, St John's at Woodlawn, a famous, uh, famous yeah. college. Um, and, yeah, that ended up uh, yeah, going through life, just enjoying footy, and met my wife of 47 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, forty-seven get the years. Right, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, forty. No, forty-five years. Sorry, is it? Gee, was no, it's not. It's forty, forty-six years. Linda, sorry. I hope you're not listening. No, it's going on for forty-seven in March. Um, beg your pardon. And um, three kids, twin boys and a girl. Beautiful kids. Got great families and uh, love life. Uh, had different jobs throughout my, my life and that's I think has helped uh, position me as a, as a man um, from working for a family butchering business to um, being in, in the gaming industry, hospitality, uh, to working for now a, a US company in uh, cash transaction hardware products and um, it's, yeah, it's been, been great and uh, I, love, I love life. We we go on holidays to Fosterton Curry mm. uh, with family and, yeah, been blessed with my family. Let's start with the obvious, the nickname Joe Cool. Where did it start? Who gave it to you? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, funny enough, I met one of the blokes up at uh, Fosterton Curry here this, uh, during the, the holiday break just recently. Uh, there was two guys. Uh, I, I got it. I was at training back in 74 at West. Um, and two blokes that were there then were um, Johnny Clark and Johnny Baker, um, yeah. and they were both second graders really at the time. Um, 
they said, oh, look at that mongrel. You're so bloody nonchalant about going back and picking up a ball mm. and all that. And they, they tagged at Joe Cool and, um, yeah, for some crazy reason it, it stuck. The calm mindset, the greatest asset, I think, for any elite sportsman uh, in any field. You can train to get faster. You can lift weights to get stronger. You can study video to get better. Is mindset a natural trait? You either have it or you don't? Uh, I think it's a bit of both, yep. to be brutally honest. When I think back, look, I, I used to work uh, during my school holidays as a young kid, you know, six, seven, eight through 10, 12 in early teens at, uh, at the abattoir. Uh, and I used to work with this bloke called Jack Wellington, old bloke, beautiful old man. And um, we used to work on the tractor and a trailer and used to take the sheepskins and the cow hides and uh, up and hang them and salt them and all sorts of things and go and feed the cattle and the sheep and the yeah. pigs and, and the calves and the whatever. And um, and he used to give me some lessons in life about, you know, being calm and quiet and he had a real slow talk about it. He was a country bloke but he was yeah. just really calm bloke and I, I liked how he operated and, and when the blokes tried to stir him up as uh, Slaughterman would do, uh, he, he just take it all in his stride, and it was a great observation. So between that and and then playing footy as a, a young kid and without being big-headed, yeah, yeah, I had some ability, had yep. pace and could score tries and all those sorts of things that um, going right through minor football to junior football yep. uh, to then being as an under-17s player being approached to go and play first grade in a local comp that, uh, and I was 16 at the time, that, you know, I had mates who, who said um, if they thought I was getting offline to get a bit big-headed, they say, pull your head in, yep. JD. Gee, that's important. Uh, and I think it was. And, mm. it, and it was something that occurred then when I got into my working life that my workmates would say the same, oh, what, do you think you red hot last week or something, do you? And I said, no. And I, and I, I purposely tried to be a little more, more calm with my attitude of things. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's been portrayed throughout my life. Um, but as far as being calm and collected on the park, uh, yeah, I think that's just a carryover. I I learned particularly playing at five eight and fullback that um, as a as a junior that I I needed to um, to be calm and observe where where I need to go and where we need to set up and push and prod and mm. and run for plays and things like that and talk to my, my fellow teammates and stuff like that. So I guess it was always in me, but yeah. um, I think the help of um, mates and teammates, and I still catch up with um, half a dozen mates from my junior years uh, every quarter normally uh, with our girls and uh, we, we have dinner and go over old times and the whole thing. And I think that keeps you balanced. From Wollongong to the Western Suburbs Magpies, we're going to go back to 1974 your teammates included Ronnie Giddo, Steve Knight, Mick Labinskis, the snake Graham O'Grady, also a little halfback from the bush who we'll get to shortly. Donnie Parrish was the coach. What are your memories of your first season in the big smoke? Um, I, I actually went to, to England to play some time with uh, Lee at the end of 73 before I went to Sydney mm. and before I'd even signed. Um and I knew I had options to go, not just west, but but elsewhere. But um, 
I asked Warren Ryan to come along with me uh, to a meeting uh, in early January, I think it was, uh, to to West at Ashfield. Yep. Um, and back then, unfortunately, it was the, the salary cap at that time, um, which was $2,000 sign on and $200 a win wow. um, versus if I'd have gone the year before, um, I'd have probably got 10 or 12 or whatever thousand. <laughs> anyway, um, that said, um, that happened and I went along and uh, then we got into training, we got to the pre-season and we went and had a trial game against Port Kembla, yep. who, funny enough, Keith Holman was coaching. And, yep. and a guy called uh, Greg Groves was from, moved over from West Illawarra to Port Kembla um, and I actually... Ended up hitting him on the he- top of the head with my the thumb, trying to whack him, and I broke my right thumb. So I didn't play for the first few oh. games of '74, uh, waiting for my thumb to to heal. Um, so that, yeah, that was a lazy start. But um, Tony Ford was the then fullback for for West yep. under Don Parrish, and, and Don was the coach of West Silawara from '67 to '69. Um, okay, I think it was. And um, and so, yeah, it was, it was an easy fit that way because the Secretary of West Silawara, Peter Buchanan, who was a legend talent scout um, from what I'm told, and, yeah. of course, he picked me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, you know, he, he said he, he was one of the best, so I ended up there. Okay, the little halfback from the bush that we mentioned earlier, the great Tommy Radonikus. What was the great man like all the way back then? Tommy, to me, was the most competitive player I've played mm. with or against. Uh, Tommy um, wouldn't take a back, backward step. He'd take the ball up instead of a front rower. Yeah. Uh, we know that. He'd tackle his heart out and pick up big blokes, little blokes and belt blokes and, of course, the, the famous one of uh, Tommy Wack and Steve Mortimer around the side of a scrum yeah. and all those sorts of things and um, getting involved with Houston. Oh, not Houston. Um the guy from Queensland uh, that time. Greg Oliphant. Greg Oliphant, yeah. yeah. He was a great player, yeah. Greg. Um, so, yeah, Tommy, to me, uh, he was a great captain to have because yep. uh, he, he was always follow me. It was never one of get in, do that. Mm. Um, yeah, one of life's great blokes and went too early. A lifetime of memories and mateships with Tom. You actually delivered a eulogy at his memorial. What's your go-to story or your fondest memory of one of the game's great characters? <laughs> There's probably a few. Um, but I'll go to – this is a double one. <coughs> In 76, there was a, a combined Sydney tour to um, New Zealand uh, during the final series of those teams that weren't in the finals. Oh, yeah. And um, Tommy, Dallas and I happened to get chosen and – we're in Auckland, and it's a well-known story. That he was staying at the Auckland Hotel. I'm pretty sure it was called. And and it, and in the foyer was this, um, or just off the foyer to the bar was this um, large fish pond, nearly as big as this table, <laughs> table or a bit bigger than the table. Anyway, Tommy and Dallas are trying to catch the goldfish. <laughs> Can't do it. Hopeless, you know. And then in walks Teddy Goodwin, Good Dash, and so what are you doing, like, boys? And they go, oh, we want to catch a goldfish. We want to have goldfish for dinner. And he's going, oh, you've actually hopeless. And he's just stuck his hand in, grabbed a goldfish, and it's wobbling out the top of his hand. And and 
Tommy says, hey, give it to me. So Tommy ripped it off and bit the head off. <laughs> and Dallas said, give me the other half. And he threw it straight down his throat. So that was probably the wackiest thing I've ever seen yeah. from footballers. And, of course, it, it, that and a couple of things, Dallas being on the drink, cost Dallas uh, a bit in representative games, which yeah. unfortunately occurred. I was just going to say I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask for a Dallas Donnelly story, but you've answered Dallas and Tommy in one. Oh, look, sorry, the other one on Dallas, though, is that – uh, we, we were training in um, in a World Cup squad group at uh, Centennial Park up yep. the top near uh, Oxford Street. Yep. And um, anyway, we, we'd finished a big run, done some heavy work under George Daldry, the, the infamous yeah. trainer from City Tats. And um, Dallas goes walking off down the hill and Tommy sings out, and he was probably oh, 40, 50 metres away, and Tommy says, where are you going, Dallas? And Dallas turns around and he says, oh, I'm going to the tap. And absolutely no tap down there at all. And next thing you know, poor old Dallas falls over and he's taking a fit, an epileptic fit. And so naturally enough, all us players run down around yeah. him and you know, trying to get him on his side and all those sorts of things and make sure he was okay. So um, that was one of Dallas's um, sad Moments and points of yeah. um, his life here in Sydney, but but when he went to England to play uh, with Kenyon Victor, I think it was at the time he um, he never had a fit while he was over there for whatever reason. And of course, when he came back here to, to coach up there around Byron, yeah. uh, he ended up having a fit in the surf, and people thinking he was only fooling around. He he was drowning at the time. The Magpies under Coach Roy Masters made a wonderful era of rugby league. It was. Tactical brilliance, theatre, emotion and a whole lot of brutality all mixed into one. In 2023, this is what you can expect from Unfiltered. The Legends series starts your working week featuring interviews with some of the game's best. The stories are in-depth and personal. We talk footy and life in a really subtle mix you can't and won't hear anywhere else. On Thursday, the Rugby League Superpod returns 12 different player interviews every single episode. It's fast-paced, and if you like a laugh with your footy, this is you. It's the weekly show you just can't miss. Then on Saturday, it's Dream Team time. Who would you name in your best ever 13? We ask that question to players past and present. We don't always agree, but that's what it's about. It's the ultimate argument starter. Who is the best 13? Ever. Be sure to follow us on social media to keep up to date on who's coming onto the podcast. We're all over Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Andy Raymond. Or you can check out our website, andyraymondunfiltered.com.au. And while you're there, check out our sponsors page. We've been blessed with the greatest sponsors in the world. Legends, a hundred percent. Now, back to the story. It certainly was. Um, as I said before, I met up with Roy not too long ago down in uh, in Melbourne. Uh, one of life's great blokes and yeah. uh, great mentors uh, and a, a very good coach. He um, Roy came in knowing that you know West needed a lift, even though we'd won the um, the Amco Cup in seventy seven right. under Boyka. under yeah. Keith Harmon. Um, and we played East and beat them 6-5, I think it was. Um, thank 
goodness, Stumpy Stevens kicked the ball. Uh, sorry, Russell Fairfax kicked the ball and not Stumpy Stevens. That's um, the famous one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, anyway, and they had some great players in that team. East. But um, Roy, Roy, Roy was uh, a coach who, coming from Penrith as a teacher, uh, was very much about. Um, the, the inner self of players yep. uh, and the, the mental ability to tap into their game. Yep. Um, and he um, – so he, he spoke to all of us individually. He spoke to us in different groups and as a group uh, he he was tactically up there uh, but he was just a, a great bloke who – he was called Thirsty for no other reason. Yep. He loved, loved to have a beer with the boys and uh, but a sensible beer he – didn't want blokes getting out on the drink on Thursday or Friday mm-hmm. night or the night before and, and you know, being shite to go onto the yeah. park. Uh, but he, um, he he brought us together in a way that uh, w- wasn't the way that I felt we needed to and I guess where I'm going there is that when we got to the uh, the belly punching, the face slapping yep. um, motivational tactics, um, that's not me because I just like to sit down and, just get myself together and visualise what I'm going to do on the park, whether it's goal kicking, whether it's stepping, whether it's passing, whether it's tackling, mm. all those sorts of things. And, and I felt that visualisation was a big factor in yeah. why I played as well as what I, I felt I I could do. Um, but Roy put it together and, yeah, we, we had some moments in the, the change rooms of, of Lidcombe Oval and yelling and screaming and bashing the the lockers and the whole mm. thing, and remember, of course, there's a, a video there of uh, of uh, Manly when Rex Mossop's talking to them about, well, well, you know, they're all getting and John Gray, I think it is, they're all getting revved up in there, yes. you know, and all this sort of jazz. And, and we went out, and Dallas has spat towards uh, Terry Randall, and it's caused a, a blue in the first tackle of the game when yep. Terry was running up to uh, Dallas, and Dallas has swung the big punch and and all that, and of course the they all went on, but it all probably started before that when, if remembering correctly, is uh, we're having a, an exhibition trial game down in um, Melbourne and there was AFL, there was soccer and there was rugby league. And, and oh. uh, Yeah, and um, and that was in 78 and uh, I, I couldn't go, I was injured. Okay. And thankfully I didn't, but that was when it all really started the from. Rivalry, because yeah. they, they all – and the league – Wisely or unwisely, if you want to, which way you look at it, put the two teams on the same plane. They oh, put dear. the two teams on the same coach. They pulled up at the, or might have been separate coaches, but they pulled up at the same hotel. And Arco said, "We're not staying here with these blokes." Off they went to some other um, Hugh Butte hotel. As Roy, Roy puts the story, and so the fuse so, you was know, lit. The fuse was lit, and so of course they'd end up in a bit of a blue down in Melbourne, and then it carried on in then into the '78 season. The '78 season. It was an afternoon at the old Lickham Oval where the dirty stuff and the fists basically followed the football round for 80 minutes. Steve Knight almost took off Wayne Smith's head with one of the greatest. High tackles ever and the brawls. Now you've got a reputation as a clean skin, mm. but JD, you started the brawl and was in the face of Terry Randall. Why would you upset a bloke like Terry Randall? Because it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was easy. <laughs> I got payback on that. I can tell you a bit later. <laughs> um, 
Oh, mate, I, I don't know why. I, was, I must have got too much of Roy's chat before mm. the game. Um, but, no, nah, I remember that game and, um, and I remember Buddy Terry having a lash at me and me pulling away from him and then my teammates coming in in front of me and yep. getting stuck into him and all that sort of jazz. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, scary moment. Big boys, big tough boys. It was an era of tough football, very different from what we see at the moment. And, and yes, the game has improved and it's more marketable, but a remarkable era of physicality. It was. It was um, when you look back over the years, even before that, and you look at the tests between Australia and England, oh, particularly. Yeah. I mean, they were gladiatorial. That, yep. It was like going to the Coliseum. You know, yeah. it was. You're either in it for the win, or you might as well be out of it and go and sit on the bench. Um, and yes. the, the same applied in in '78. You know, and it wasn't just Manly. We, no, it wasn't. West took it to Parramatta, West took it to Cronulla and, you know, they're, they're a, a very strong adversary mm. um, running into the end of 78 when I think it was either the second last or the last game we played Cronulla to get the minor premiership. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately we went straight out. But um, the, it was it was an era when you can in some ways get away with it, mm. Uh Unless it was absolutely filthy, dirty, yeah. rotten that you know no one likes, uh, but punching was uh, not condoned, but it was tolerated mm. uh, in that way. And um, and you know some blokes are sent off, and such as he said, poor old Steve Knight. Wayne, I remember that one. Wayne stepped off his big right foot, and yeah. but he, poor old Steve, swung out his right arm and collected him, and um, yeah. the referee had no hesitation saying, mm. "See you later, Steve." You know. Mate, by this stage, you'd played interstate footy before the Origin concept uh, was born in 1980. You'd played some test match footy as well. Part of a rare club, I think you represented Australia before you did your state. What stands out from 77, 78, 79? Ernie Hamilton didn't like me. Ernie Hamilton, the chairman of Selectors. There we go. (laughs) Uh, But for some reason... um, I, I didn't go on the, the tour in 78, yeah. uh, but I'd take my hat off to and the, the player who went went in the place that I, I think I probably could have yep. gone in was Alan McMahon, so he was a quality yep. player. But it's, And that was part of the reason why probably I looked to Roy to change positions Yes, um, was that you know, Alan could play full-back w- wing and um, potentially centre. Yep. Um, and okay. so – and he was a big – Kicker of the ball as well, yeah. and so I guess, and he was a big man, as tall and yep. strong, and and uh, I, I guess that's probably why mm. they took him away. But um, you know, I I was blessed to be able to play for Australia in '78. At you mm. know, poor old Wombat being injured, and, and but um, whether he was right to play in the third test or not in Sydney, I got to play and I got to score at the SCG playing yeah. for Australia. So. Um, you know, I was happy about that. And then to be able to play uh, two state games mm. in uh, 78 and then a, a play for New South Wales against Great Britain as well Yes, uh, were, you know, some of the highlights of my career. Magpie to Sea Eagle, Fibrator Silver Tail. This was the end of 1979 along with Les Boyd, along with Ray Brown. Because the hatred was... So real. Was there a level of being uncomfortable when you, Les, and Ray actually arrived at Brookvale? 
Um, oh, I've got two stories for you, really. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't too bad. They, they were accommodating the the players. They were? We're, we're all players, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah, you know, you're a bit weary, you know, you're mongrel, you bloody, you know, Bellamy or whatever yep. it was back in that time. But um, when I left um, Wes, uh, we, we and I had the butcher shop in Joseph Street, Lidcombe, uh, with my brother-in-law, John Pockets Mitchell, a, um, a lady customer who was a mad magpie supporter called Mrs Jackson. You'd come into come into the shop. And there's two parts. This actually you'd come into the shop after I'd signed, and it was a an overcast day. It wasn't wet. It was overcast, but she had a brolly with her, and she came in and she comes to the counter. And she knocks on the counter. Where's Joe? And um, my brother-in-law, one of the butchers, says, hey, Joe, you want it out the front? So yeah, I walk out the front and, and I'm about here to the wall away fr- from the counter and I said, oh, Mrs Jackson, how are you today? Well, she lifts up the umbrella and she's leaning over the counter and she's trying to belt the living daylights out of me. Why are you going to Merley? You shouldn't be doing that. And all the, you know, this carry on and, oh, God bless her. And uh, so I got that. And then, But then to top it off, she had uh, these um, paper clippings and, um, magazines and whatever. Yeah. She put them on the the middle of the the floor in front of the in the shop front. Yeah. Put a match to them, and she said, "That's all your memorabilia. I don't want it anymore." Oh. You, yeah, blah blah blah. So yeah, that, that was that one. And then um, so yeah, the, and, and that and then when I went to Manly, we were into the the pre-season training and. Uh, I go out. We all go out to train one night, and Alan Thompson, the second rower from Manly, was yeah. our, our coach at that time. And anyway, we were doing some stuff. And um, what's his name? It's that um, uh, kid from Brisbane, Sebo. What's his name? That just bagged poor old um, Selwyn Cobbo. Selwyn Cobbo. Uh, <laughs> similar tale. But unfortunately, Alan Thompson wasn't best coach I've ever had. Either. Yeah. Um, but anyway, God bless him. He's, he's passed. Um, but I go out to training. Anyway, unbeknownst to me, towards the end of tra- right at the end of training, I rush off in, in to get the first shower and that sort of thing. And so I get cha- I go to get changed, put my jocks on, and I fix myself up, you know, down below. And I go, oh, fix myself up again. Oh, that's getting hot. Anyway, someone's saying, you've got liniment on your jocks. And so I whipped no. them off and I've, I've said, how do I get this off? And they said, don't get under the shower, it'll burn more, which of course it would. And uh, so I, they said, oh, you need oil. So I went to the rubbers, the mass. <laughs> and I said, where's your oil? And they said, you don't want this, it's got liniment in it too. I go, oh, no, you need vegetable oil. So, man, I just packed up my gear. I was in the bollocky, grabbed my keys, ran out of the car, Drove through the lights at the bottom of Beacon Hill Road there yeah. and red light. Raced up home to Wheeler Heights and um, knocking on the door. So I get the and the wife opens the door up and she's shocked and goes, yeah. what are you doing? What's going on? I said, where's your oil? Where's your vegetable oil? What do you want that for? Just tell me where's your oil. And honestly, I put the oil on. I go, oh. <laughs> the happiest moment in my life almost. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, that, that's welcome to Manly. <laughs> oh, terrific welcome. Mate, before we go any further, Les Boyd, at the time and throughout his career, he was painted as the villain, as the bad guy. And whilst I think we can see he did bring a bit of it onto himself, tell us about the Les Boyd that you know. 
Oh, let's come down to to West in '76, um, and Linda and I were just getting married. Actually, as he, he was arriving, um, and then in '78 or no, it must have been '79. I think he got married, but um, I I was one of his groomsmen at his wedding. So that's wow. you know how close we become, and uh, he. Graham O'Grady and myself were really close mates out of that group. Yep. Um, as it was Trevor Reardon, actually. God bless him. Um, but Les, Les was just a, honestly a quiet country kid who'd done well and played on the schoolboys tour with Roy Masters yes. um, and come down to, to be under Roy in, in 78. Um, and he, he was... He, he was a bit of an enigma, really. He... Um, at the time, he'd have his really strong moments and then he'd go back into his nonchalant self as well. You know, he could have been called Joe Cool himself in many ways. Wow. Um, but off the park, he was as quiet as a church mouse. He he, he, he didn't drink back then mm-hmm. at all. Um, squash was his go. And, um, yeah, so he, he was good to be around. I can't not mention the 1981 semi-final, Manly versus Newtown, Mark Broadhurst and Steve Bowden. You're listening to Andy Raymond Unfiltered. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Legend Series. Do a mate a favour and when you're done here, leave a five-star rating and write a quick review for us on the podcast app you're listening on. In terms of business, it's huge for us and it actually allows us to keep creating the content you love for free. Make sure you come back soon. Legends.